All right, good evening, everybody. Uh, so glad to have you guys out with us. A few of you already commented, appreciate that. Uh, I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles, if you have them handy, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to continue on through this chapter by the grace of God. I'm going to attempt to finish it, but there is so much good stuff in this chapter, I certainly don't want to rush it. So before we get into the text itself, we'll be starting off in verse number 8. If you would, pray with me. Let's ask God to help us with our lesson tonight. Father, thank you for this privilege of opening the Word of God once again and letting you speak to our souls. I believe that there is something very, very important in this lesson tonight about serving you, something that every Christian could benefit from. Please, God, let the seed fall into good ground tonight. Uh, Lord, prepare the, the listeners, prepare myself, fill us, please, with your Spirit Open your word to us, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. In chapter 9, we've been talking about the mechanics of giving, and I've put the outline back up just below me here. We talked last week about the motives for, for Paul writing this uh, chapter, these chapters, actually, 8 and 9. And then we looked at the multiplied results. If you uh, sow sparingly, reap sparingly, sow bountifully, reap bountifully. And then in verse 7, we talked about being moved by God as you give. And we looked at how God loves a cheerful giver. We spent some time talking about the proper attitude uh, when you give, having this living with this attitude of generosity. And all of that will be important as we get into verse number 8. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you. So as you can see in the outline, this is number four, makes grace abound. Uh, how does giving work? How should we go about doing it? What's the right way to do it? What should we expect out of it? If you give with the right motives, with the right heart attitude, you're, you're giving cheerfully, right? That's verse seven then you can expect that God will make all grace abound towards you. Verses 8 through 11, we're going to talk about this in detail. Verse 12, how it abounds to many thanksgivings. And then uh, verses 13 to 15, we'll look at a ministry experiment. So back in verse 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, for the sake of continuity, can I point out to you, verse 9 and 10 are inside parentheses. So just to read the sentence in full, we will cover verses 9 and 10. Great stuff there. Paul, is, he, he goes back to two different places in the Old Testament to support the point he's making. But verse 11, the sentence finishes by saying, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. So taking verse 8 and 11 together, notice the allness. If I can, I'm making up an English word there. A-double-L-N-E-double-S, allness. Notice all of the alls. God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You might say all good works. Being enriched, verse 11, in everything to all bountifulness. So God is going to provide continually. To He's going to continually provide because He knows that you will use that provision responsibly and to His glory. And the way that you go about using what God provides for you will end up causing thanksgiving to God. Now, verse eight. People love verses like verse eight, and there's uh, you know several of them in the Bible. People love, I, I want to use the term cherry pick. They cherry pick these verses. And these are the ones that end up on coffee cups and, you know, memes and Facebook and, and uh, you know, quick little messages that people just post to, to someone else. It, it is a great verse, right? And I don't want to diminish from the truth and the promise that you find in it that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. But it comes with some caveats, right? That you have to qualify this. God's provision for us, the fact that God provides so bountifully for us and that we can trust that he will provide all of our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, his provision comes with a purpose. He is going to make all grace abound towards you, but let's be careful to, to meet the qualifications for that. 
before God will just dump his grace on you, right? Abundantly bless you with his grace. You must prove yourself faithful and worthy of that grace. You must recognize that God is going to provide for you so that you can generously help other people with the resources, the ability, the strength that God has given you. A lot of times I think this gets warped a little bit. We, we like the idea of God as our provider. But then when we start talking about uh, Jesus as our master, as our Lord, uh, you know what? I'll, I'll take the part where he provides all of my need according to his riches and glory, but please don't hold me accountable for what I do and how I use that stuff. Just give it to me and don't ask questions. God is able to make all grace abound towards you. That ye. So there's a purpose that he gave this to you. So that you can always have everything you need to, to accomplish every good work. Verse 11. So that you have all the, all the riches you need to use, to use it generously. To bring God glory. I think sometimes uh, we forget the very clear teaching Jesus gave us on this. Matthew 6, 24. I'm sure you're familiar with the verse. Jesus said, no man can have two masters. He'll love the one, he'll hate the other, he'll hold to the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Right? And that whole passage in Matthew 6, the warning that Jesus gives is not to use God simply to get the money. The money should not be the end goal. Right? Yes, we need to eat. We need something to drink. We need to wear something. We need shelter. God, God is aware of the fact that we need these physical things. Matthew 6 is careful to point that out. But Jesus also says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And sometimes we get those two things backwards. We put the emphasis on the things. God, you provide for me, and then I'll think about serving you. The, how should giving work? What, what are the proper mechanics of giving? If, if we are going to keep this engine running properly, right? The, the, uh, that is that engine I'm talking about is our spiritual life. Is if it's running properly, if the mechanics are, you know, the, the nuts and bolts are well-oiled and all the parts are working right, then you approach this recognizing that money and, and the food, the drink, the, the clothing that you're going to wear, all those resources, that's secondary. The first goal is, God, what can I do for you? How can I be of service to you? I know you're going to take care of those things. I want to be a vessel that you can trust and that you can use. So God, you, you, you come first, and I'll let you take care of the provision later. So we... That's why I say people grab onto that part about God's going to make all grace abound toward me. Great, but why? Why would he do that? Remember, verse 8 comes after verse 7. Verse 7, Paul talked about God loves a cheerful giver. So that's the qualification. If you're giving with the right attitude, then you can expect that God will continually provide for your needs because he knows you're going to use it properly. Uh let me put this little this, this slide up here because I want to make sure you understand I, I, the word grace, it can, um, you can define it in different ways. There are a few proper definitions that you could get from the Bible for the word grace. I believe the way Paul is addressing it here, we can think of grace in this way. It is God providing the necessary resources, abilities, strength, wisdom, and opportunities to serve. So when Paul says God is going to make all grace abound towards you, the promise that he's giving the Corinthians is that, guys, if you get involved in this generous attitude, if you get involved in serving God and do it bountifully, right, abundantly, then you have God's promise. He will continually provide for you so that you can continually serve. All grace is going to be uh, abounding toward you. Let me give you a cross-reference for this in First uh, Peter chapter 4. Uh, yeah, let me come down to verse number 10. First Peter 4 verse 10. Peter says, As every man hath received the gift, 
even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So God has given something to you. Now be careful to manage it properly. That's a steward. That's a manager. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, God has given you abundantly various abilities, resources, strength, wisdom. Now put it to use in in a way that's going to bring God glory. Verse 11, Peter says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So you see the, the, the proper attitude, the proper approach to giving. If, if giving is being done correctly, the mechanics of it, you, you have to make sure that the machine runs well. You've got to put first... The idea, God, whatever you give me, it's for your glory. I'm going to make sure that you get served with it. That somebody gets helped and that thanksgiving abounds toward you. Right, so come back to 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 9. Paul's going to take us back to the Old Testament and support this idea of how God honors. When somebody gives generously, God looks down on that. And he doesn't take it lightly. God honors that generous attitude and says, there's a man that I can trust. That's a lady that I can use. If that person is willing to part with their resources, especially their finances, people tend to hang on to that very tightly. right? So often God will wait to see if a man or if a woman is faithful with how they use money before he trusts them with greater responsibilities in the ministry. I have seen that over and over and over again. He says in in verse 9, As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, He hath given to the poor, His righteousness remaineth forever. Now Paul is quoting there from Psalm 112, uh, verse 9. So what I want to do is take you back to Psalm 112. We're going to quickly run through this psalm, this entire chapter, because man, it is... There's a lot of information in this one psalm uh, on this point. Psalm 112, verse 1, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that feareth the Lord, that delighteth greatly in his commandments. His seed shall be mighty upon earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Now this this promise about this uh, blessing and being mighty upon the earth, that carries all the way into the resurrection, into the kingdom age. Verse 3, wealth, now watch this carefully. Wealth and riches shall be in his house, and his righteousness endureth forever. Wealth and riches shall be in his house. Do you see how somebody might abuse this? They might come to this type of a verse and quickly say, yeah, that means God is going to, if I give a little bit, God will make me rich. Whoa, man, that, we don't want to jump to that conclusion. That is, that is the wrong approach. That's not how giving works. Not biblical giving. We don't give so that we can get. We give because we recognize that there's a greater purpose than just me getting money. That money was given not to me, but through me. Now, God has promised wealth and riches will be in that man's house. You can think of this as being fulfilled in that millennial kingdom, that the man will have plenty of wealth and riches at that time, and I think that would be true. But I also think that there is a a temporal a present tense promise that when God looks down and sees this righteous man being generous, then God is going to make sure that man is not abundantly rich. It's not filthy rich. He's not promising this prosperity that we hear about so often today. But that man is going to be taken care of. But we've got to make sure the attitude is right about about, uh, giving, about the money. So let me balance this. We're going to come back to Psalm 112. Let me show you a different psalm just quickly because this will help put things in the proper perspective, I believe. Psalm 62, look at verse 10. David said, Trust not in oppression and become not vain in robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart upon them. So so notice that the righteous man when he does get wealth and riches in his house, 
that is not that doesn't become his priority that doesn't become his master that wasn't the end goal that righteous man as as the as the things come in he's going to look at how he can distribute that and use that for God's glory all right now back to psalm 112 Verse number four, unto the upright there ariseth light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. So the man who is a good man, he's generous, he will do a man a favor and give and lend him something. But he does it with discretion. He's not going to say yes to every request, but he's going to look for a way to use his resources to help people. Verse 6, surely he shall not be moved forever. The righteous shall be an everlasting remembrance. So God will not forget what this guy's doing. He, God, God looks at this uh, very highly. Verse 7, he shall not be afraid of evil tidings. His heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. So let's, these evil tidings, think of this as a Job type situation. You know, evil tidings is bad news. So Job had a few servants, right, that survived those atrocities, that were those accidents that were going on that, the worst day of Job's life. And that servant would come and say, I, only I, have, uh, have, have been left from that and, you know, survived that. And he comes as the bearer of bad, bad news, evil tidings. So Job heard on many, in many ways, you've lost it all. But a righteous man, he's not afraid when he hears that. Why? Because his heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. He knows who gave him those things in the first place. So if he loses it all, he's able to say, The Lord gives and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 8, His heart is established. He shall not be afraid until he see his desire upon his enemies. So maybe somebody stole this from him. And uh, this man, rather than seeking retribution... He's going to trust God and wait on God. Verse 9, he hath dispersed. This is what Paul quoted. He hath dispersed. He hath given to the poor. His righteousness endureth forever. His horn shall be exalted with honor. Now this, again, we're, we're pushing this out into the kingdom age. Ultimately, that's when all of these promises are going to be fulfilled. The wicked shall see it and be grieved. He shall gnash with his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. So many of these things can take place in a person's lifetime. But the complete fulfillment of it, we're going to see this fully after the resurrection. I believe the, the point that Paul is making by quoting this verse is to show us that God, he thinks it's a big deal. When, some, when, a, when a man faithfully uses the resources that he has, when a man is generous and takes care of the people around him and shows favor when necessary, when appropriate, God is going to make sure that that man is taken care of. Now, this matches the promise that we have in Matthew 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. All right, then the next, uh, I'm going to, quickly just take us back to 2 Corinthians so you can see the verse that Paul quotes. Uh, the second one that he quotes, he says, Now he, this is 2 Corinthians 9 10, Now he that ministereth seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So let me try to walk you through that part, that, uh, what Paul's quoted there. And he, Paul added one additional comment to it. You'll see now. He's saying, now he that ministers seed to the sower. So there's one guy that gives a, a farmer, a sower, some seed. Now by that generous act, giving this guy seed, this guy can now plant some of that seed in the ground. And that seed grows. He can make it into bread. He can eat it. He can give he can give that food to someone else. So by that generous act, that act of generosity, multiple things are happening. Multiple good works are taking place. Multiple needs are being met. Minister bread for your food. So person A gives generously to person B. Person B uses that seed, sows it. And then once that 
wheat comes up or whatever it is that they're growing, now that food can be given to somebody else and it ministers to your needs, bread for your food, and multiply your seed sown. Now, once that harvest comes up, they can take of that harvest and share some of the seeds from the fruit or veg that comes up. And you can now, as the receiver, the recipient of person B's generosity, you can go on and plant some seeds and feed your family. And it just, when people begin to give generously, you see how the good works begin to abound. Uh, It increases the fruits of your righteousness. You're able to do so much, so much. You can accomplish so many things for God. Look at uh, the verse now that Paul is quoting from. He's quoting Isaiah 55 verse 10. He's using just one part of it, and it's the principle from this verse that he's using. Isaiah 55, 10, For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. Now, you see that last phrase, that's what Paul used. And it's the principle of this verse that Paul's focusing on. In the verse, the rain comes down. The precipitation comes down from above, the rain and the snow. Which, by the way, that is an illustration of the Word of God coming down. God sending His Word from above, revealing to us uh, the proper knowledge of Him. You can see that in verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. But notice that when the rain and the snow comes down, it returns not thither. Do you see that? When you give, you're not expecting to receive anything in return. That's key. You give and you say, there it is. I've done my part. Now, let's see how much good can come of that. You're not worried about receiving something back. Jesus pointed this out in Luke chapter 6. Verse 35, that when you lend, when you give, you, you are not hoping to receive again. Now, God knows that when you give, sure, it, Jesus said it, it shall be given to you, that you, you will be taken care of. But that is based on you giving with that right attitude that, God, whether you want to give it back to me now or you want to reward me later in the kingdom age, Or if you don't even give it back to me, God, it's just an honor to get to serve you and help someone else. That kind of attitude then, that is what God really takes notice of. So you see the the precipitation comes down, waters the earth, makes it bring forth and bud, and now the earth is able to provide seed for the sower, bread to the eater. So it all gets started with God's generosity, giving rain to the earth. You can see how this, once the mechanics of this get set in the right motion, God provides generously. If I recognize that God is generously taking care of me, then I pass that on to the next guy. And then that guy says, praise God, this is wonderful. He, he then says, what can I do with this to be a help and a blessing? And it just goes on and on. That's how giving should work. Uh, I'm going to draw your attention to something Jesus said here before I forget. Luke chapter 16, verse 10. This is a very interesting parable. It is the only parable that I know of where Jesus, the the primary purpose of the parable in verses 1 down to 13, the primary purpose was to teach us about how to manage our finances. Almost all the other parables are about the kingdom, right? The kingdom of heaven and how to enter into it or what it's going to be like. This parable has to do with your money. Jesus says this, Luke 16, 10, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Let's make sure we understand what we're talking about. To be faithful in that which is least, what is the least thing? Money. If you can be faithful with your money, then you can be faithful with the more important things. You can be faithful with the big things. He that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. Look at verse 11. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, that's the money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And I told you earlier, and this verse I believe bears witness to what I I mentioned, that when God looks around 
for a man or woman that he can use. One of the, one of the ways that God will, let's say, test that person or vet that person to see if they're worthy of taking on some sort of long-term responsibility in God's ministry. God looks at their checkbook. He looks in their bank account and says, let's see how you do with money. Let's see what kind of emphasis you place on it. Let's see how you use it when you have it. And if you can be faithful in that least thing, then God might actually grant you the privilege. And this is where grace comes in. He makes all grace abound towards you. He says, I'm going to let you be responsible for somebody else's spiritual growth. I'm actually going to use you to not only bring somebody to Christ, but help them grow and, and, and become more like Christ. And that, that is what greater honor, right? For God to tap you on the shoulder and say, I want to use you in that way. That's a big deal. But it starts with uh, him checking you out with the money. All right, so back to 2 Corinthians and verse 11. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 11, he says, Being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causeth through us thanksgiving to God. So we've already talked about verse 11, um, what's going on there. These riches that we are being blessed with, God is providing for us so that we can be generous, but we understand that there's the purpose behind the provision. We want to be used as vessels that cause thanksgiving. We want to be, if I can use it this way, instigators of praise. Praise and thanksgiving are very often synonymous. In this case, it is. We want to cause people to praise God. I don't want to be the instigator of gossip, jealousy, frustration. I want to be... I want to be the kind of person that after you've spent some time with me, you walk away and say, praise God, that was time well spent. That guy added something to my life. Not just to my pocketbook, but to my life. I think the key phrase here in, in this passage is through us, which causes through us thanksgiving to God. So... I'm going to use this statement. God will give more through you than to you. You've probably heard me say that before. And the illustration I like to use um, with, with this idea is a bucket with a hole in it. Right? If you are just a bucket, then God, he, he might provide for you. But once the bucket gets full, if God continues to provide, it just spills over and it's a complete waste. Why? And God's not wasteful. So then all of a sudden, the provision stops coming in and people say, hey, why isn't God helping me? Why isn't he continuing to bless me? Well, maybe. maybe. He filled your bucket and you didn't thank him. You didn't think about how you could use what's in the bucket to be a blessing for anybody else. The old saying is, you get, all, you, get all you, uh, you get all you can and can all you get and then sit on your can. <laughs> Which I, I think it's fitting in this, in this situation. Rather, take your bucket, poke a hole in it. Matter of fact, you might want to poke several holes in it. Say, God, you have been so good to me. Now I just want to be a vessel. I want, I want to be a channel. I want it to pass through me. Now, you see, as it's passing through you, it's doing something for you. But God knows it's not going to just go to waste in your bucket. Your bucket, several holes in it, that water is going to spring out and be a blessing for so many people. That's the kind of person God will use, a bucket with a hole in it. I, I want to show you another passage here. Can I do this? I want to take you to Haggai. I mentioned, I used this passage yesterday at the men's prayer breakfast. God help me. I, they told me how to say the, the name Haggai in Afrikaans. Whew, I'm scared to even attempt it on the live stream because once I do, it'll be out there and people can like go back and make fun of me for it. <laughs> it'll, be, I, it'll take a lot more practice to get that name right because for me, the, the H sound and the G sound 
I get those mixed up so often. Whew, this is a tough name. But anyway, my poor Afrikaans aside, let's, let's see what Haggai has to say about this. Haggai 1, let's begin at verse 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? He's talking about the house of the Lord, the temple. It was laying there. They had begun the rebuilding project, but then they got scared of the, there were some enemies that threatened them, so they just left it. They left that project. Verse 5, now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Now watch, watch this. Watch verse 6. And tell me if you think this might properly describe a lot of people's situation. Verse 6. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Now, pause there for, mo for a moment. Doesn't that sound like a bit of a contradiction? If you sow bountifully, aren't you supposed to reap bountifully? Right? Doesn't the Bible say you'll reap what you sow? But if you've so much, how is it that you bring in little? Because there's more going on than just simple mathematics. God looks on the heart. When it comes to God providing for a person and making all grace abound towards them, it's not just let me write a check and then God, I know you'll give it back to me with interest. No, no, God looks at the attitude, the heart, the reason. Do you see the big picture? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, is that coming first? You have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but you have not enough. Ye drink, but you're not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there's none warm. He said, you, you guys are trying to provide for yourselves, but it's, it's not working out, is it? And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. He says, you guys got your, your money bag, your purse, your wallet. You put the money in and it just goes right out. You got a bag with holes in it. Rather be a bucket with holes. Verse 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Go up to the mountain, bring wood, and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. He says, You put my house first, and I'll take great pleasure in that. Get your priorities straight. Verse 9, Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I, I did blow upon it. God says, the reason you brought home a healthy paycheck and it turns out it's gone. God said, I know where your heart's at. Your focus is in the wrong place. So rather than allowing you to enjoy all these provisions that I've given, I'm going to take some of it away or even all of it away to get your attention so that you consider your ways. So you stop and think about what's truly and eternally important. He says, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, at waste, and ye run every man unto his own house. He says, you guys are just thinking about yourselves. You have no intention of using these resources for the glory of God. Verse 10, Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. Verse 11, And I called for a drought upon the land and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, upon the new wine, upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of your hands. Wow! Imagine God saying that to you about your life. Think about it now. What if God were to come down and say, listen, I, I can see that you're working hard, but I can see that the greatest goal that you have in your life is just to store up a bunch of money for yourself. You're laying up treasure on earth and that's it. That's your end goal. So God says, I'm going to do you a favor. I'm going to let the well run dry. I'm going to make sure that the business doesn't work out like you'd hoped. I, anything you do get, I'm just going to blow upon it. And the money will be gone. Why? So that you can recognize there's something more important than just filling your pockets with money. All right, come back to 2 Corinthians 9. And let's begin to work our way through verse number 12. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 12. Uh, it says here, For the administration of this service... So... 
the administration, the, the giving, the process of, of taking money from one person, delivering it to the next. For the administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. All right, so you guys forgive me. I did not think to put this one up. I, I've already covered this one, makes grace abound, chapter 9, verses 8 through 11, and now we're into verse number 12. So many thanks, many thanks. So even at the end of verse 11, we already saw this. It causes through us thanksgiving to God. I want to cause people to praise the Lord. I don't want to cause people to get angry and frustrated. And then he says that this opportunity of giving generously, it can cause abundant thanks, many thanksgivings unto God. Man, that's something I want to be involved in, right? There's two things I want you to see in verse 12. The administration of this service not only supplieth the want of the saints. So as you're giving generously, you're not just taking care of people, but you're putting a smile on God's face. Now, I'm going to explain more of this when we get into verses 13 and 14 about all the various things that you're accomplishing when you give properly. But it really does, and I've, I've touched on it already, so I'm not, going to, I'm not going to go too far into it, but there's, there's something very... God looks down upon this and smiles greatly, takes great pleasure in seeing a person prioritize properly their finances and how they use it. Now, verse 13, you can see this is a continuation of Paul's statement in verse 12. So we're going to learn more about the many thanks that it causes. Verse 13, whiles by the experiment of this ministration. So I'm going to put this one up, the ministry experiment. Whiles by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. All right, so you can see in verse 13 how Paul has mentioned the experiment of this ministration. So we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Let me take it down. I'm going to go back to the thought of many thanksgivings or many thanks because Paul, he mentions it in verse 11, verse 12 again, and now verse 13, rather than use the word thanksgivings, he's used the word glorify God. So let's, let's go through the list of things that they glorify God for. So God's going to get glory for several things here. Number one, he says in verse 13, your professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ. So when somebody says, I I believe that Jesus died, buried, rose again. I believe that he has proven he is the Lord. He is the Savior. He is God manifest in the flesh. It's one thing to say, I believe these things. But the old saying is, put your money where your mouth is. So when somebody actually takes their hard-earned money and gives it towards a worthy cause, a God-pleasing cause, then people will say, praise the Lord. Those are genuine believers. So this professed subjection is now substantiated, right, or proven by your giving. So this is one way to show people, this is evidence that, hey, I'm serious about this. Uh, folks, I, I, I have seen, because I've had the privilege of, of visiting so many different churches, I have seen in some of these churches where they do something called faith promise giving for their missions uh, support. Their support of missionaries comes through something called faith promise. So what they do is they pray about it and then they say, I believe God wants me to give X amount, however much that is, every week or every month. And then yearly, every year they have a missions conference and they, they again will pray about it and say for the, for the next year, I'm making a, a promise I believe God will help me and assist me to give this much. Now, it's, it's, some people say that that is the biblical way of giving to missions. I, I don't think I'd go that far, but it is, there's certainly nothing against it in the Bible. I think it's a, a great method uh, to be used. But my point in saying this is 
you, you can see some, even kids, right? I've seen kids, eight, nine, 10 years old. They pray about, say, God, show me how much should I give to missions every year? And they start, right, when they're little, eight, nine, 10, they say, I'm gonna give a dollar a week, $5 a month, something like that. And then they go get a little job cleaning up somebody's yard or helping somebody and they go make the money so that they can give it to missions. And then the next year they up it again. They say, okay, this time I'm going to give $10 a year. And then the next is 20. There are some people, there are some churches they give, we're talking a church with 300 members. They give close to a million dollars a year to missions. Now you take a church like that. And, and I know of several that are, that have that kind of heart. When they say that the gospel is important, I, I believe it fully, not because they said it eloquently, but because they put their money where their mouth was. And for me, I look at that and I get so greatly encouraged that man, there are some genuine believers that are really on board with getting the gospel out. And I praise God for that. All right, so that's one way God gets thanks. Here's the next thing in verse uh, 13. And for your liberal distribution unto them, so they are going to thank God. Lord, I've been praying about this. I needed this particular thing. I was lacking, and these people gave it. In this case, it's the poor saints at Jerusalem that experienced that famine, and now all these other churches throughout the, uh, throughout those, the Macedonian region and the uh, region of Achaia, they're, they're helping out. Well, they're filling the need, and they're thanking God. God, you used these people. They were vessels to get what... I needed to me. Thank you. And then it says unto all men. There's another thing that they can thank God for because they know that this generosity is not only being showed to them, but they look at these genuine believers and they know these people will continue to help wherever they can. So it's not just this one group that's thanking God. All men, whoever needs help is going to be thanking God. And then another way that God gets glory, verse 14, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. So here's another way God gets glory is the people that received this offering. They have now seen how God can use people. They can see how God can change people's lives. Here are people that maybe before they were sinners and selfish and never would have thought of giving generously of their own hard-earned money to help somebody that they've never met. But man, they have seen, there's evidence now that God has worked in their heart and they begin to pray and they say, God, please bless this person. Please uh, provide for their needs. And there is a special bond that gets created because they know somebody cares about them and now they care about you. This is exactly what God wants to see in the body of Christ. This is so pleasing to God. And you know what ends up happening at the end of it? They, it says, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. I, you know what I think Paul's getting at? These people are not just saying, God, please bless so-and-so because they helped me and they gave to me. I think the, what Paul's trying to get across is they say, God, I see what you've done in that person's life. I see how you've touched their heart and how you communicated and worked in them and through them to help me. God, I want to be used by you. This has provoked me to love and to good works. I want to be more like that. Please use me too. If you can use the Corinthians, if you can use the Philippians, then please use me too. And do you see how God gets glory? He gets thanksgiving. It's just so much good comes from getting involved, taking advantage of these opportunities to be a blessing and help someone else. Now, that's the many thanks part of it. Let me direct your attention now to the ministry experiment part of this. He says, whilst by the experiment of this ministration, what's an experiment? Uh, an experiment is a scientific procedure undertaken to make a discovery or to demonstrate a fact. I, I, I really like the word that, that the translators chose for this. The experiment. A scientific procedure undertaken to make a discovery. 
If you want to find out just how good God can be, you want to find out how faithful He is to His promises, if you want to experience the fullness of His presence, right, then go ahead and experiment with this ministration. Here's the challenge I'll give you, and I'm going to show you now in the Bible where this challenge is. God, God actually allows for this challenge. Here's the challenge. Try to outgive God. I've said it for years as I've taught. Uh, I, of course, we have a lesson in our discipleship book about giving, and I've said it to each one of those classes. This is a, 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 an experiment in the ministry that I've never seen fail. I've tested this hypothesis that you can't outgive God. I've never seen that hypothesis overthrown. I, I have seen it proven over and over again. God is going to be faithful to honor his promise about taking care of a righteously generous man. Malachi 3 verse 10. This is a verse that sometimes gets twisted and abused, but but there's still a lot of truth in this. Let's take it for what it's worth. God said, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me now herewith. There's the experiment. He said, go on, test me. It's the only time in the Bible that I know of that, where God says, go ahead, test me. Now, you're not, it's not a temptation where you're standing in doubt of it, saying, ah, God, I don't think you can do it. It's more a, a, an invitation. God says, you, you know I can do this. Please get involved in this experiment. You do your part so I can do mine. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. Now you can see why people would grab onto this verse and you can see how people might abuse it. Because if you have selfish motives, right? if you're greedy and just looking for a way to use God to get the money, well then, hey, I'll gladly get in on this experiment and I'll uh, invest a little bit in this God thing and then let him open up the heavens and you know I'll, I'll be so filthy rich I won't have enough room in my bank account to, to, to hold it all. Uh, again, if, if you approach it with that attitude, the experiment's off. You're not going to see it come to pass. When you approach it in the right way, you, you just can't, you cannot outgive God. I, there are several stories I tell in the discipleship class, and I, I, most of you that are listening to this probably have gone through discipleship, so I'm not going to repeat all of them, but I, I will tell you about a, a, a few of them maybe that I don't mention often. But I've tried this experiment, right? I've been involved in it, and I, man, I've never seen God fail. Not too long ago, there was another church here in South Africa that uh, had an opportunity to purchase a building, and they needed some help with money. And our church was still quite new, young. I think we had been open for about two years, maybe. And uh, this church had been going for about 15 years, this other church. And they had struggled a bit. But getting a building was a big thing for them. They just needed some help. So we didn't have a lot of money, but we prayed about it. And we gave them 100,000 rands. Now, obviously, that wasn't all that they needed, but it, it really did help. I mean, it made a big difference. That was a chunk of, chunk of change, as they say. And I remember clearly one man came to me, and uh, he had all the right intentions by asking me this, so don't, don't take this uh, in the wrong way, but he said, Pastor, are you sure? I, that's a lot of money. Are we expecting that they will pay that back? Are we giving them this money as a loan? Now, like I said, he was just trying to be frugal and, and uh, use discretion, and, and he had no ill intentions in asking me that. I appreciate, actually, people that, right, we talked about inquiry and evidence. I, I have no problems when somebody says, why are, why are we uh, departing with 100,000 rands? You know, that's, that's uh, people in our church have been giving, so they should be able to ask such questions. I said, brother, no, we're not giving this as a loan. We just want to be a blessing to this church. I said, I, I, I trust that in due time, when we have a need, God will take care of it. He said, Pastor, okay. 
He said, I, if, if, if this is the way you think the Lord uh, wants us to go with it, then by all means. And this brother was on board with it. As we're, every, it's not something that we kept hidden. We told the church we were doing it. Did you know what happened? This is now, you got to fast forward about five years. We had just come across the piece of ground that we are now looking to build on. And I made mention to our church. I do, and guys, I just made a quick mention during the announcements. I said, guys, God looks like he's opening the doors so that we can purchase some land. If any of you, if God has put it on your heart to help, um, then, then please feel free. But I'm going to leave that between you and God. That's all I said about it. Now, I don't know who it was. I don't know if it was somebody in our church, if it was just somebody else in, in this country. I don't know. I don't know where the money came from. I didn't, I'm not going to trace it. But I seriously doubt that they knew about that 100,000 rand that we gave for that other, that, that, that church. But somebody put 100,000 rands in our bank account, in the church's bank account. And even recently, right, I have made a, a point not to, um, not to put it in my prayer letter for the Americans to say, listen, we need money for our building. Please send us money. I, I haven't sent that request out. But people have been sending thousands of dollars for that. We just can't outgive God. We helped a church in their time of need, right? We, didn't we learn this in chapter 8? And there's some equality. Now we're in need. Somebody else is taking care of our need. I remember one time I, uh, I sold a vehicle. I was in Malawi, sold a vehicle, came back to the States. I was on a furlough. And God had put it on my heart to take that money and give a large amount of it to another missionary. So I wrote the check, $5,000, sent the check out. And I say this, I, I, I'm only saying this to illustrate the point, to, to illustrate the experiment and how you won't have room enough to, I, that's the only reason I'm repeating these stories because I have seen these things come to pass in my own life. You know what happened? I mean, 5000 that's that's a decent amount of money. It's not like <laughs> we felt that. Not even a week later, we went into a church that didn't know us. We presented our ministry. And this church, at the end of it, I only spoke for 15 minutes. And then the pastor said, Brother Flick, can you answer some questions? I said, sure. About 200 people there that night. One man stood up and said, what's your greatest need in the ministry? And I said, well... Uh, honestly, more, more laborers. And he, he said, no, no, I, I realize that, but what, what uh, resource is it that you need the most? And I said, well, probably books. We do a lot of printing of books with our discipleship books and song books. You know, we were still in Malawi at the time, and we put a lot of, of effort, energy, and money into that, into that part of the ministry. And that man, he said, Pastor, put me down. And if memory serves, he said, put me down for 1000 and I, I thought, what is this? And then somebody else said, uh, Brother Flick, I got a question. Yes. How much for each songbook? I said, uh, let me ask my secretary. And I asked Christina. She was sitting there in the, in the church. I said, how much? She said about, I think it was $4 a book. She said, Pastor, put me down for 1500 And one by one, these church members, they were pledging to give that much money that night. I, it blew me away. Somebody said, 500 over here, 1000 over here. 500 here, Brother... I, I, my, one of those jaw hits the ground moments. I couldn't believe what was happening. They had already taken up an offering for us. The offering plates were on the communion table at the front of the church filled with money already. While people are saying, put me down for this, put me down for that, other people start coming forward and putting more money in the offering plate. Listen, the money began to fall off the table onto the floor. There wasn't room enough to receive it. The pastor, he was taking down everybody's pledge. He said, all right, we got $9,500. He said, I'd like to write a, 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 a nice even check for this missionary. Let's give him 10000 Anybody else got $500? And somebody hollered out, I got 500 right here, Brother, brother Farley. And they, they wrote us a $10,000 check plus 
there was another more than $1,000 in cash. We walked out of that building with more than $11,000. I have seen God do that over and over and over again. I have learned by this point that when we are in a time of need, now I'm not trying to, I, I don't want to be ridiculous about it, right? I want to approach this with wisdom, but when we're in a time of need and I say, man, we need some money, that is not the time to say, all right, well, then I will not consider giving to anyone. That is actually the time when I pay attention to giving even more. Because if I'm in a time of need and I'm still able to be moved by God to give to someone else, then it speaks loudly to where my heart's at. It, it says, God, I'm trusting you to provide my needs in the end. Now, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be foolish about it and say, all right, just give it all away. I, I, I want to guide my affairs with discretion. But I've learned through experience, I have experimented with this ministration. You just can't outgive God. It is one of the most pleasurable projects to be involved in. Now, this brings me to verse number 15. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. This, I would say, is, is maybe an anchoring statement for giving. Where, where do we find our motivation for giving? What kick-started the whole attitude of generosity? It all started in a very well-known verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So Paul recognizes, we can talk about, you know, the Corinthians helped the people in Jerusalem and the people in Jerusalem were able to pass it on. We, we can, you know, follow the chain back of where did this ministration of generosity, where did it all begin? Because so many lives have been touched, so many people have been helped, so many people have gotten involved and been blessed by this. Where, if we trace it back to its origin, where did it originate? Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. God went out of his way and gave the most precious thing, the thing closest to his heart, and that was his son. I think it'd be right to say a part of himself, even to say himself, right? We're talking about God, the triune God, that he comes down in human form and makes eternal life a reality for us. Now, based on how generous he's been to us, even when we didn't deserve it, Right? Tonight we talked about how he makes all grace abound towards you. That grace is the necessary resources, strength, wisdom, opportunities to serve him. And if you want to be involved and used by God, then you need to have the right attitude about giving. But let's be honest. There are times where God is going to call upon you to be generous to people that don't deserve it. You need to be sensitive to that. Thank God when he looked down on us, we didn't deserve it, but through grace, through mercy, through nothing but sheer unconditional love, he said, I'm going to make it possible for you sinners to have a relationship with me. Now, if he can go out of his way to do that for me, is it really a big thing that he puts it in my heart or puts it on your heart to say, take a little bit of what I've given you and pass it on. This is the root. This is the origin story for our generosity. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Amen. That's all I have for you tonight. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. I hope that's been a help. I'm going to pray and close the service. Again, if anybody does have a question, please feel free to slip it into the comments here. And let me remind you that next week I'm going to be out of the country. I'll be in Zambia preaching. Please, please pray for a safe journey. Pray that my voice holds up uh, and all the other health 
issues. Pray that all of that is not a, a hindrance to what God wants to do that side. Uh, next week, you'll have Garrett preaching in the morning, and then you'll have Armand. He's going to be doing the evening service by live stream. So please, those of you that are uh, tuning in, make time again next week, and, uh, and please keep those men in your prayers as well. Father, thank you for the privilege tonight of being able to open the Word of God and to look at these verses, to be reminded of how we can be involved. And Lord, it's what a blessed experiment to be involved in, to be that bucket with a hole in it. And the more, God, the, the, the more we want to be involved and the more faithful we become about it, God, we just get to see you provide and make it all possible. You make service to you and to others possible. Lord, help us now to grab hold of these promises. And as you said, prove me now herewith. Lord, I pray you might speak to each individual who's been listening to this lesson. Show them how they can get involved, how they can use their resources to be a help and a blessing and cause Many thanksgivings unto God. Father, thank you for your help all through this day. Please have your hand upon us all through this night. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Lord willing, we'll see you again soon.